following podcast may contain spoilers, profanity, and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed. We don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either. Listener discretion is advised. The following is a Galactic Network podcast. Welcome to the Alien Invasion number 249, recorded on Thursday, October 18th, 2018. I'm Dave Nelson, along with Mr. Brad Ludwig. Last time I got your name wrong, Brad. What? Remember I said it weirdly? I, like, mixed up some letters. I said, uh... Oh, yeah. That's all right. Grad Lugloves or something? I don't know. <laughs> I still love you, Dave. So what's going on in your world? We're gearing up for Halloween, and this year, Alex has, uh, the kids in Alex's school, and and it blows my mind, because he's, he's 17, and this is the senior high, they're doing a, basically a Halloween costume parade, and there's a possibility for the kids to win cash prizes if they you know, um, take the number one spot in a, you know, like scary costume or, you know, they have different categories. So, um, yeah, we're going to work on a, uh, kind of a scary, somewhat contemporary scarecrow costume for Alex. Oh, cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah. I've kind of got some things planned out in my head and we'll see how they actualize in the real world. That's something that's up your alley. You're like all about the projects. I'm all about trying something weird and interesting. And if I get like a good, well-formed idea and I just, I want to build it. So, well, uh, good luck with that. Uh, It's exciting times here in Canada Yesterday, uh, recreational marijuana became legal. Legalized weed! So I could potentially be smoking a joint while we're doing the show, but I'm not going to. Right now. Something else that's exciting is my brand new phone right here, the LG V30. Mm. I'm very impressed with it. I'll show you why, too. It's got a really neat camera that has all these like manual settings on it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, for video, I'll show you real quick. It uh, see if I can. It's got all these like you can control the um, the shutter speed, the aperture, the ISO, the focus, and even like mess with the the microphone too. Like you can uh, change the way the microphone is is picking up audio. So huh. super. I've su- got some of that functionality on the Galaxy S8. Oh, okay. I don't know about the microphone, but um, yeah, there, some of that functionality is uh, available on on that. So yeah, it is pretty exciting. No right. doubt about it. Let's jump into the show. On this episode, we'll be running down our top four favorite alien weapons. So let's just jump into it, Brad. Okay. And these are all like in the fictional alien universes. We didn't do anything from the real world. I was thinking about it. I thought maybe I could like throw in 
you know, how aliens paralyze the people that they're abducting. Sure. You know, I thought of that, but I'm like, you know, that's not that exciting. We don't really know too much about it. So I yeah, stuck. I think we, we limited our scope yep. to alien weapons in media. Yes. And, but, you know, it was bladed, you know, energy weapons, even ships weapons, things, you know, we, we, we left it somewhat open, but it had to be something that appeared in some form of media, you know, uh, that we were going to go over. So. And, and it's not the best. It's just our favorites. Correct. Number four is a weapon that is memorable, but is horribly impractical as, as a melee <laughs> styled weapon, especially now that, Alex and I are, are, are taking martial arts. We're doing a scrima, which is um, Philippine stick fighting. Um, the Batleth, which is Worf, and we're kind of introduced to it by Lieutenant Worf. Uh, it is a Klingon melee weapon that kind of looks like two crescent moons that are sort of stacked one on top the other one a little bit smaller than the other. And it has like three handholds that have some form of like a, a leather or some type of material wrapped around. So you have three different areas in which you can hold it. Like I said, it's a beautiful looking weapon, but it really is horribly, horribly impractical because it's only sharp on one side it is kind of hooked a little bit so i mean you can actually kind of get in there and and kind of stick it into somebody and pull it back so i mean it, it definitely looks like a deadly weapon but trying to spin it around and maneuver with it because it is not like a, a pole it's like flat and it, it it probably looks like it's about maybe six inches deep seven inches deep so i mean it's really really weird and awkward um just, and the reason why i put it on the list is because it's so memorable because the first time i saw it i went oh that looks neat and wow that's got to be really clumsy <laughs> but they with. but yet they pull it off like wharf is really good at the bat left and uh not everybody is he is though um yep. and that's not the only handheld weapon that the klingons have no but nope. it's, it, I think, like you said, it's the most memorable. Yes. It reminds me of a big hacksaw. <laughs> kind of. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you were to blow up a hacksaw, like maybe three or four times, that it's almost the same shape, and you would hold it the same way if you wanted to use a hacksaw as a weapon. I, I jumped over to Memory Alpha. Uh, the Memory Alpha website to, to kind of get some details. And as we are told in the Star Trek universe, the first Batleth was created by uh, Kallus, the Unforgettable, in their ninth century. He basically took a chunk of his hair, dropped it in lava, and plunged the burning lock into the Lake of Lusor, and no, no, no. Twisted no. it into a blade. Oliver or uh, Brad? I almost called you Oliver. Sorry, it's my dog's <laughs> name. No, you can't say it like a normal human. You have to put 
a Klingon guttural sound into all this. So repeat the last line that you said, but give it some Klingon, okay? Okay. Uh, let's see. Kalas cut the lock of his hair and dropped it into the lava of the Kristak volcano, <laughs> then plunged the burning lock into the Lake of Lusor and twisted it into a blade. Ka- Is that better? Kapla. Kapla. Yes. Very well. <laughs> Very good. You know, they really based a lot of things off of Kalis. Kalis was a big influence on that society. They, they went yes. with Kalis and they pretty much wrote it all the way. Yeah, uh, definitely the the core. I don't want to say mythological figure, but the core kind of historical figure or mythologized maybe mm-hmm. figure yeah. uh, in Klingon uh, lore and history. All right. So is that it? Is that all you got for this one? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, we we do see. Worf uses it a few times. He fights Duras, doing a uh, Batleth blade duel, essentially. And, uh, yeah, Duras, that freaking guy. Yeah, Worf, when he, when he moved to Deep Space Nine, he kind of, he kind of left the Batleth behind and went with kind of a more of a, uh, a sword-type blade, I seem to remember, that he would kind of put it like uh, he had a thing on his back where he would just he would store it on his back and then when he needed it he'd pull it out and uh, fight with that. I think, I think my memory is right on that. I'm not sure. Maybe not. All right. So let's do uh, my number four, which is also a Star Trek weapon. It's the Ferengi energy whip. Another one that's not really that effective and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, this one was introduced on the Next Generation episode, The Last Outpost. I believe that's either season one or season two. The energy whip looks and handles like a typical Earth bullwhip and discharges a powerful phaser-like energy pulse. In the Enterprise episode, Acquisition, the Ferengi landing party that attempted to raid the uh, Starship Enterprise in 2151 was armed with energy whips. The Ferengis encountered by the USS Enterprise-D away team in the Delphi-Ardu system in 2364 were also armed with energy whips. And that's, again, from the episode The Last Outpost. And I think that's the last time that we see the energy whips. Although it is included in the Marauder Mo, a line of Ferengi action figures... (laughs) <laughs> they usually had an energy whip toy with them as well. I remember that. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. They didn't really they didn't make much sense, but they're cool and they're unusual. I didn't want to go with something like a Klingon disruptor or a blaster from the Empire. I wanted to go with something interesting and unusual and I and I chose the Ferengi energy whip. So, there you go. Follow this Galactic Network podcast on Twitter, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us by searching for Galactic Network on all the major social networks or click on the icons at GNCast.com. Let's uh, move on to our number threes. My number three, going back to kind of my interest in comic books, is a weapon called the Mega Rod. The Mega Rod. (laughs) And... 
essentially it's probably a like a two foot long ornate tube that is capped on both ends and it is a energy weapon essentially you it's like a it's like a wand you point and shoot comes out one end and what it does is it shoots like uh kinetic energy i guess for uh, the best way to describe it uh but it's like it's focused kinetic energy so you could like you know break through a a really thick wall or uh, 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 an armored vehicle or something like that um what's kind of interesting about it is because and uh this weapon was created by the people of apocalypse so dark side like the big bad that, oh uh, okay he's got the the red eyes that shoot the omega beams um it is like i said an energy based weapon and at one point <laughs> big barda who is a good character who kind of defected from apocalypse uh, with her husband Scott Free, who became Miracle Man, they were she she found herself in a situation where they their ship lost power, or it didn't quite have enough power for them to uh, get to where they needed to go as quickly as possible, and they actually were able to um, make a modification and plug it into their ship's energy system to power or add more power to their their warp engines that they had or their heavy engines that they used to to travel great distances in the comic. And I'm pretty sure that that was during the 1980s uh, Justice League comic series. So, yeah, it's uh it's all the way awesome. It's it, like I said, it's a kind of a brass or gold-looking ornate tube and uh yeah, point and shoot the way that you described it brad mm -hmm. the one thing that came to my mind was the old man-made tennis ball cannons did you ever make one of those when you were growing up the tennis I, uh yes yeah. yes i don't know why let's find a good image here that's kind of large yeah we'll go with that one i'm gonna do a screen share so our youtube folk who watch us can get a better like. idea of what it looks like. So here we go. I am now sharing the oh. image, and it looks kind of like for if you fish and you fish like really hardcore fish, like musky. It looks like a musky club that's been <laughs> covered in gold and had some designs put on it. <laughs> a musky club has got like a weighted end to it, so it's a little bit thicker, and that's really kind of what it looks like it also looks like the lightsaber when it's not turned on sort of sort of or like lady liberty's torch but not quite as tapered yeah okay or uh a baton in uh in running in the relay races sort of yeah yeah kind of all right <laughs> so there you go the mega rod it's a lot smaller than i thought it was going to be 
Yeah, it's a foot and a half, two feet. Well, the thing to note is Big Barda is probably about seven feet tall. Mm. Okay. Um, so it looks, it, it would be, it's a lot bigger than it looks in that image that I just showed you. My number three is the Predator Shoulder Cannon. Now, I don't remember exactly what it looks like, but I have seen more than one Predator movies. <laughs> I haven't seen the latest one. It kind of bombed, though. No, it really came and went yeah. and did not get a whole lot of good feedback. It's like an arm that comes up and it's kind of it's jointed in a couple of places. It's almost like if you were to take a a dog or a cat's leg and like if a slipper was made out of the gun, <laughs> that's where the foot would go. And that's where the gun is. This is a side view. Is it attached to their uniform or their, their armor? Yeah, it's... Uh, here, I'm going to share this for the YouTubers. So, oh. here we go. It... Yeah, it's got this base piece here, which kind of goes on the... Kind of the pauldron, the shoulder armor. Okay. I can't remember if it has its own tracking or if the tracking is attached to like the gauntlet that the predator wears, but it will swivel and and fire. It's on... well, how they aim it is through their eyepiece. Oh, through their through their helmet. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I forgot about that. Cool. Now we but... have a better idea as to what it looks like. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting weapon. Good, good choice. Thank you. I wanted something kind of in between, uh, something bigger than like a light weapon, hand, hand held something, but uh, nothing too big. So I'm going to just run down some of the details on this. Featured in all five movies, I don't know if that includes the latest one, it's the Predator's signature weapon and is the one everybody remembers after watching the film. It's also the most powerful weapon at the Predator's disposal. Essentially, it fires powerful blue balls of plasma at a target. When an object is in motion, a red triangle focuses in on the target in its vision, which is responsible for the great accuracy of the weapon. Okay. There's also a targeting laser. Laser! Which is beamed from the Predator's mask onto the target. So that's, I think, in the movies when they would see, like, a red light on their body. That's when the Predator was aiming, uh, getting sure. their target. That makes sense. Okay. So, that is my number three. If you like this podcast, The Alien Invasion, and would love to support us in a very simple way, we ask that you go to gncasts.com slash support. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com slash support and click on the Patreon link. Uh, now with Patreon, we're just asking for a few dollars a month. It's not per episode, it's per month at one, three, and five dollar levels. And each level has its own perk. Like you can get your name mentioned on our shows, not just this show, but all of our other podcasts that are part of the Galactic Network Network. You can get a whole message read. 
and other perks, other other things that you'll get for your dollar, three dollar, five dollar a month support of the network. So again, go to gncasts.com/support. Click on that Patreon link, and I believe we also have a link to our Amazon affiliate link on that page as well. So if you're going to be doing some shopping on Amazon, uh, click that link and support us that way as well. GNCasts.com slash support. And we thank you. My number two is uh, kind of not what you would maybe have thought would be on the list. <laughs> That's okay. No, we want variety. We want something different. Yeah. Just not your standard fare. The kind of quote-unquote weapon that I chose was Gort from The Day the Earth Stood Still which I'm going with the 1950s uh, version of that. Did you know that that was based on a book? No, I did not. But it was I... actually based on like a short story uh, from the 40s. Okay. All right. That makes and sense. And it was called Farewell to the Master. It was, an, oh, there it goes. Uh, in the 1940 Astounding Science Fiction, um, I think they were in Pulps? Yeah, Pulp Magazine. And it was a short story that was then converted into the script for the movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Now, the reason why I kind of chose it as a weapon is that Gort had the capability to basically kill everybody on Earth. <laughs> if everything <laughs> went south, Klaatu uh, could just go get him. And it had the the visor that could shoot beams that either could just hurt a person or could actually like vaporize a tank. <laughs> I think we, just... Didn't we see that in the film? Yes. Okay. Yes, we did. The interesting thing about it is they are like a manufactured race of, of mechanical beings essentially that are used in conjunction with Klaatu, who is kind of like a, peacekeeping space force for all intents and purposes. And the whole premise of the film is uh, this kind of consortium of civilized worlds came to the earth because they deemed them dangerous and they wanted to kind of have them get their house in order, or they were going to have to destroy them <laughs> before they potentially could destroy civilized civilization in outer space. <clears throat> so, um, Klaatu does get, uh, does get fatally injured and Gort does kind of help bring him back from the dead, albeit temporarily. And, uh, Gort is kind of called off from killing everybody on the planet. So well, thank God dodged a bullet there. <laughs> or dodged an energy dodged beam a laser there. Beam. Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, the day the earth stood still, uh Gort. Plus it's an awesome name. Gort. Yeah, actually in the book, uh in the original short story, it was Nut. G N U T. Okay. Doesn't have the same ring to it. No, Gort sounds a yeah. lot more sinister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, I'd be more afraid of a gort than a nut. Yeah. Cause you'd just be laughing at a nut. 
Yeah, maybe like wall, macadamia. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's going on here? Tell me what kind of nut you are, really. <laughs> okay, so mine is kind of along the same lines. Like it's from the same era or genre type, sort of. I don't know. It's uh, from War of the Worlds. It's the tripod weapons. We saw it, of course, in the original book and then in all the live-action adaptations of it, although it was a little bit different in the uh, the Tom Cruise version of War of the Worlds. But still, it's, it had the same essential design and purpose. So the tripod, also known as the fighting machine, it is a fast-moving three-legged walker reported to be 100 feet tall with multiple whip-like tentacles used for grasping and two lethal weapons the heat ray and a gun-like tube used for discharging canisters of a poisonous chemical black smoke that kills humans and animals. It is the primary machine the Martians use when they invade Earth, along with the handling machine, the flying machine, and the embankment machine. So, um, there was... What was the deal in... The Tom Cruise version of the story, he ended up at the very end of the movie, like, inside one of them. To me, it just didn't really feel like it needed to be retold, so I just didn't I didn't bother. It has its moments, but I think you're fine watching the 1950s version of the film, of the yeah. story. Yeah. You're number one. We're already fine. at number ones. Yeah. Wow. Okay. My number one... Going back to Star Trek, I hate to dip into that well twice, okay. but uh, I made this one number one because of how how powerful and how deadly this particular uh, thing it, well was in in the particular film. It's the Genesis device. Genesis, give me Genesis. <laughs> now you know the whole thing and you know in, and we've seen in our own contemporary real world things being weaponized essentially you know um do too much of something or use something as it's not really intended and it becomes a a weapon and the genesis device in the film star trek 2 the wrath of khan the best star trek Mm-hmm. I agree. It was originally designed as helping to deal with like overpopulation and colonizing planets that had the potential, like they were in a habitable zone, the Goldilocks zone, as it were, but just missed an opportunity for something. And it's a dead planet. There was no life on it. They could launch this uh, Genesis device at it and it would like pretty much instantly terraform the planet so that you could just, you know, walk onto the planet and you could start, you know, growing crops or, you know, building your, your places to live or whatever. And in the film, Khan wanted to use it to destroy a world. Basically you could overwrite the life on a planet totally destroying a whole planet full of people with this device and 
uh, just basically rewriting it so something else could be there. But I mean, the whole purpose that he wanted to do was just genocide at a planetary level. Um, and you know, the, the what ends up happening in the film, if you, for some reason, reason haven't seen it, is it's used in a nebula and it takes all that material and actually kind of turns it into a solar system. It ball, essentially, it balls it up like a snowball. Yeah, it just kind of pulls everything together and um yeah although we find out in three it's not stable but you know it's whatever uh but yeah the genesis device to me just seemed to be the most innocuous designed for something peaceful but just turned to be used into a really potentially um devastating weapon on a planetary scale it's just that's frightening to me <laughs> yeah no i i agree there's some really big weapons like that in science fiction like there's the reality bomb from doctor who sure. there's um in space balls the the giant vacuum yep remember that yes <laughs> sucking out the atmosphere of druidia yep all right so let's uh let's wrap this thing up finally my number one is the Star Killer base from Star Wars: The Force Awakens? I could have gone with the Death Star, but the Star Killer base is way, way more powerful. Uh, deep in the unknown regions, the First Order constructed a super weapon that used an entire planet as its weapons platform. The deadly Star Killer harvested energy from its system's star contained within the magnetic field inside the planetary core, and then converted that energy into an ultra-powerful beam that blasted through hyperspace, able to sterilize the worlds of a distant star system with a single shot. See, the Death Star could destroy a planet. This could destroy a whole planetary system. Yeah. It obliterated the New Republic capital of... Uh, Hosnian Prime, the planet was then destroyed in a uh, daring resistance raid. So, yeah, the Starkiller base was destroyed by the resistance, but yep. the New Republic capital was destroyed by the Starkiller base. <laughs> yep, because we had to get a demonstration of the weapons so we knew how dire the situation yep. really was. Yep, exactly. They did <sighs> did the same thing in uh, Star Wars Episode Four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so there you go. That is our uh, our top four alien weapons. Did you think of anyone that didn't make your list? All the ones that really stuck out in my mind, I put on the list. And I didn't want to do like the phaser or the lightsaber because that, you know, I'm not trying to be hipstery or anything, but, you know, we know about those. Yep. These are the things that I thought were either horribly impractical, which is why I mentioned it like the Batleth, or something you didn't necessarily think of, but when you really think about it, yeah, it's a weapon, like Gort. I think a couple ones that I thought of was, uh, I already had a Star Wars thing, so I was thinking about also putting the AT-ATs on there, AT, sure. um, whatever they're called. And the, um, from Star Trek 2009, the Red Matter um, oh yeah! Injecting it into the core of planets and creating the the wormhole and destroying the planets. Yeah, that was pretty powerful. Yeah, and I also thought and we and we discussed this briefly on the last episode. 
the Borg Borgifying. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right. <laughs> yeah. Be, being turned, being assimilated into a Borg, yeah, is kind of a weapon, but not really. And I, th- I think there's a there's a top four list for something like that, like not necessarily weapons, but how aliens turn non-aliens or other races into them or turn them into doing something that they want them to do, kind of. Sure. We'll have to think of a, a cool name for that and do a top four list. Like, you could do the Borg turning people into Borgs. You could say the Cybermen turning people into Cybermen. There's got to be a few other ones, but that's just an idea for another time. Yeah, absolutely. Please subscribe to this Galactic Network podcast by going gncast.com slash subscribe. Or search iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere podcasts are offered. I hope that everybody enjoyed our top four list this time around. If you have an idea for a future top four list, let us know. Reach out to us via email, aliens at gncasts.com. You can uh, call our voicemail number, 805-328-3966, or jump on to gncasts.com. And uh, click on the little uh, speak pipe thingy on the left-hand side and uh, send us a message. Let us know what you think would make a great top four list on the alien invasion. So that's going to do it for this edition of The Alien Invasion, a Galactic Network podcast. On the next episode, we'll be going back to the original format, covering the news, looking at a sighting of the week, and reviewing our picks and warnings, and I got a few, I got a couple of good picks and warnings for next time. I got to choose between them because so much has happened since the last regular episode that I've got plenty to choose from, <laughs> which is good. This is, a, this is one of the reasons why we went to the different formats to give us time to like collect some good, instead of just putting anything on the, in the picks and warnings, this gives mm-hmm. a chance to look, put some really good stuff on there. Yep. Agreed. We'd like to thank Monkey Warhol for providing the intro song. It's called Alien Syndrome. You can find it and other Monkey Warhol stuff at monkeywarhol.bandcamp.com. Also to Retward von Dernberg, a composer from Germany, for our closing song called Be Water. Learn more about him and his music at thecaravel.net. T H E C A R V A. No. C-A-R-A-V-E-L dot net. And also, thanks to Ben Olson. Thanks, Ben. For recording our disclaimer audio at the start of this episode. So again, thanks for joining us. Final thought, Brad? You got anything? Yesterday, we went to uh, NTC, which is our technical college, our local technical college, and took Alex to check out some things to see if he was interested in you know, doing further education after he graduates high school and if he wanted to, what he might be interested in. And um, we actually got, uh, they now have a STEM center, which is science, technology, electronics. Awesome. So it, and they have a number of 3D printers. They have a number of uh, laser cutters and engravers. And it was really kind of fascinating to, to, to see this whole huge lab that they created uh to do that so you know thinking about star trek and the replicator i always think of of the 3d printer uh in that regard as being our kind of our first replicator as it were 
Cool. All right. Um, again, thanks for joining us, everybody. And until next time, have a fantastic day and or week or month. <laughs> Bye. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. <laughs>